Interesting how last week we preached on sex and all of a sudden the room's full. I don't know what to say about that. Uh, Word must have gotten out. Well, if you are joining us this morning, we are in a series in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Uh, We've been going through 1 Corinthians most of the year. We've taken some breaks. We've kind of broken it up into a couple different uh, mini-series within the book. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians till uh, May this year. Right now we're in chapter 7 and we're getting to issues on marital status. Um, Paul is having to address some things that are happening in the Corinthian church and he's got a lot of questions. Uh, they've written him a letter and said, hey Paul, what's, what's going on? How do we deal with these things? What does it look like for us to be believers, followers of Jesus Christ, living in a fallen and sinful world, living in a culture that doesn't follow Jesus? How do we How do we do that? And so they ask him some questions, and he's writing his responses here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, last week, as as you heard earlier, we talked about marriage, and we talked about sex. And you can go back and listen to that message online. I'm not going to recap that one uh, without my wife here to supervise me. So um, keep me in check. But... uh, uh, you can go back and listen to that one. And this morning, we're going to get to the issue of divorce and remarriage. And I just, uh, I, I'm going to be flat honest with you guys. And uh, I know that's good to hear from your pastor because it doesn't mean that I lie all the other times. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I just want to be upfront with you in the reality that this is probably the most difficult message that I have ever had to prepare uh, you don't know this, but every Friday, you may know this, but every Friday when I meet with our elders, after we spend uh, time on our knees praying for every single prayer request that comes across on our connection cards, the next thing we do is we spend time in the Word looking at the message that, um, that I've prepared for the week, and they, they give feedback, and they give input, and they say, no, you can't say it like that. Um, have you thought about saying it like this? And um, they say, man, have you thought about this story? And, and just, it's a great time. And usually that's, depending on how long I talk, that's usually about 10 or 15 minutes of kind of that input and sharing. Um, this last week, it was about 40 minutes that we spent going through this and saying, hey, how do we say this well? How do we communicate the heart of God on this? Because the reality is that I, I'm willing to bet every single person in this room has been affected by divorce. It has become so common, and sadly, it's, it's no less common in the church than it is in the rest of culture today. Um, so you may have been through divorce personally. It may have been your parents. It may have been a close friend or family mem- member, but I'm willing to bet that every single one of us here today has been affected by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And so I know that this issue can be extremely personal, uh, and and I just want you to know that it's extremely personal. And the Bible is very clear on issues of divorce and remarriage. And so there may be some things that you hear this morning that you say that is a really hard teaching. And it may frustrate you, it may anger you, and it may hurt you. And I want you to know that our intention, my intention this morning, is not to hurt you or to, to make you feel guilty or... Uh, to make you feel like if you have been through this in some way, it's affected your life, that you are somehow less than. Because I want to very upfront and clearly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to you in the gospel, that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. That we are under grace. We are under grace. And I have to say that sadly, 
in most churches uh, that, that I grew up in, that I've been a part of, and across America, there's two tendencies when it comes to the issue of divorce. The first is, a lot of times the church treats people who've been through divorce as if it's the unpardonable sin. Regardless of their repentance, regardless of what they've been through, they say, oh, I'm sorry, you had a divorce, that, that just counts you out. And they make people continually feel guilty as if they could never move past that. And that is inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want you to know that. Uh, the other option is that they ignore it or they, they uh, just kind of treat it flippantly of, oh yeah, divorce, no big deal. And they never consider whether or not that divorce uh, was biblical or not. And so this morning, I just want you to know my heart. And I want you to know that God loves you and we care about you at this church, that we love you and our desire is not for you to be hurt. Now, I also want you to understand that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit may convict you as we look at the scripture this morning. And you may realize that maybe you have sinned and you need to come before the Lord. And the great news is that if you, if you recognize that there is sin in your life, even a past sin, maybe you didn't know what the scripture said. God loves you and he says, if you'll just come to him and seek his forgiveness, he will forgive you. Okay? Um, the other thing I want to say is, as any is the case any week, there's always the chance I could misspeak uh, and mess things up and say something that I don't really mean and say something uh, that's not accurate. And there's also the chance that you may misunderstand what is said this morning. And I want to I ask that if that happens, if you hear something and you're just like, oh man, I'm, I'm never coming back, please come talk to me. Um, after the service, the elders are going to be up front. Those that are in the room are going to be up front. And I would encourage you, come talk to them. Seek understanding because it is not our intention that you would feel picked on, that you would feel like we're um, going after you in, in any way, shape, or form. So come talk to us. A lot of times we can clarify things with just a conversation. Um, so is everybody, is that, I mean, am I making sense here? Uh, I, I hope you feel my heart that this is a, a hard message, it's a hard teaching, but here at River Rock Bible Church, we do not shy away from teachings just because they're hard. Um, we teach what is biblical. And so this, this morning is not going to be any different. Um, before we can talk or have any sort of conversation about divorce, I think it's important that we start and that we keep in mind God's intent for marriage, Right? Before we talk about divorce, we, we ought to know what was God's intent in marriage. So number one, and I realize you don't have uh, fill-in-the-blank points in your bulletin, so we're actually, if it, if it goes away off the screen, it's going to come back, right? So um, the points will be up here. So number one is that God designed and intended marriage as a sacred, lifelong union between one man and one woman. Okay, we saw a little bit of this last week, uh, but let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, Paul says this, I command the married, not I, but the Lord. So what Paul's saying here, and we're going to look at this in just a second, is I'm referring back to something that Jesus actually taught, words out of Jesus' own mouth, 
that we're going to find in Mark 10 and Matthew 19 in just a little bit. He says, Not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. A husband is not to leave his wife. Skip down to verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but her husband die, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants only in the Lord. Okay, so a couple things I want to make clear. As we're in 1 Corinthians 7, you'll see in just a moment uh, as we look at the whole passage that whenever Paul says something, hey, this is true about the wife, the same is also true for the husband in this case. Okay, you're going to see that in a number of ways. Uh, just as he says in verse 11, that you're not to, uh, wives are not to leave their husbands, and then he says a husband is not to leave his wife. So what he's saying is everything that I just said about the wife is also true for the husband, okay? Does that make sense? So you can replace those in there. And and so here we see very clearly um, that it's a lifelong bond. Look at verse 39. He says, a wife is bound as long as her husband is living, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Um, This, when he says, not I but the Lord, he's referring back to a direct teaching of Jesus. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, i uh, give you a little bit of background on this story. Jesus has come into a town. He's been out teaching, and he enters into the town, and you know, uh, often Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come and ask him a question about divorce, and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, if you know the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, you know that typically when the Pharisees come and ask Jesus a question, they don't really care about his answer. In fact, Admiral Akbar um, can tell us exactly what's going on here. Admiral, what would you say? Uh, It's a trap, all right? That's a shout out to my Star Wars fans there. Um, It's a trap, right? They're trying to trap him um, because they... In Jesus' day, it was not a question of whether or not you were able to be divorced. Uh, Everybody knew in first century Judaism that divorce was permissible, but they have a uh, suspicion that Jesus is going to be more strict. Maybe they heard his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and when he says, hey, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her, and they're like, yeah, he's going to be harder on this. He's going to come down, and we're going to get him, and you know what? John the Baptist has already been arrested by by Herod the Great because he was preaching against uh, Herod's divorce. He was kind of hard on Herod, so if we can get Jesus to say something on divorce, then maybe he'll get arrested and we can get rid of him, right? So they're trying to trap him with his own words. But I want us to look at what Jesus says here. So they've set this trap for Jesus. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for marital uh, sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay? So what's happening here? So they've asked Jesus about this. Hey, Moses gave us permission to divorce our wives. Moses gave us permission to divorce our wives. But what does Jesus say? 
He says it wasn't like that from the beginning. And he doesn't even go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy. He goes back to the very beginning. We have to see the difference between uh, God's intention and a concession. You see, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives a concession. But in Genesis, God gave his intention. And Jesus is saying, look, that was never God's intention that a, that a marriage could be dissolved or, or that divorce would happen. But because of sin, because of our own sin, God allowed it. God, God let it be permissible. He gave a concession, but that's not how it was intended to be. The main thing that I want us to see is this, is that the weightiness of the marriage covenant, the weightiness of the marriage covenant that, that we ought to have. Hebrews 13 tells us uh, that, that marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored by all. And so before we have any conversation about divorce, I think we have to understand the weightiness of marriage and how important it was to God. Um, we see the clarity with which Jesus teaches on this. And in fact, as we see him teaching, uh, we're going to see in just a second, his disciples kind of understand how heavy the burden of a marriage covenant is and how much emphasis and impact it ought to have on our lives. And I just want to say that the marriage, it's not that marriage covenants can't be broken. It's that they shouldn't be broken when we look at God's intent for marriage. Amen? Um, So what does all this mean to us? The first thing I want us to say is this, that as followers of Jesus, we should never enter into marriage with the escape hatch mentality. We should never go into a marriage saying, well, if this just doesn't work out, I'm just going to pull the ejection handle and I'll be out. I can always get a divorce. We should never go into marriage of the idea that, hey, this is just a trial marriage. We're just going to practice on each other, knowing that, hey, the seven-year itch is going to come along, we're going to get rid of each other, and we're just going to move on, right? As Christians, we go in to a marriage understanding that this is for a lifetime. I am committed to this for the rest of my life. Going into marriage with the escape hatch mentality or trial marriage mentality is like learning to fly by practicing crash landings. Any, any former military in here? I know we have some. How many of you in the military at basic training, uh, very first thing they did was practice retreating? Right? Going into a marriage with the idea of, hey, if this doesn't work out, we're just going to get divorced, is the same as going to basic training and learning how to retreat. You just don't do that. They, I don't even know that they teach it. They just say, you keep going forward. Right? So we have to understand the weight uh, with which Uh, Jesus teaches about marriage. Now look at what his disciples say in verse 10. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. It is better not to marry. This is hard. If if I'm going to be stuck for life, rather than have the potential for sin to break my marriage through a divorce, it'd be better to not be married. And Jesus told them in verse 11, Not everyone can accept this saying, but to those it has been given to. All right? So next week, singles, we're going to talk about you guys. There are some of you in this room who may have the gift of singleness. 
That may be God's calling on your life. I see a couple shaking their heads no. All right. We'll come back to that next week, all right? So let's understand God's intent for marriage. Now, the second thing I want us to see, uh, we understand God intends marriage for a lifetime to be between one man and one woman. Um, Number two is this, that divorce is not always sinful. Divorce is not always sinful. And this is my frustration with with, um, historically how, how church has often treated divorce, that they don't care about the circumstances. And I want you to understand that the circumstances do matter. Um, Not every divorce is sinful. But let me say this. Is every divorce the product of sin? Yes. Does that make every divorce sinful? No. Right? So we know there are people who, through no fault of their own, their spouse decided to leave, to divorce, to commit adultery, whatever, and they're like, what happened here? This wasn't my choice. Okay, so we know that it wasn't your sin that caused the divorce, but it still was sin that caused the divorce because we live in a broken and fallen world. Some great examples of this from Scripture are, uh, think about this, um, Joseph, the Christmas story. We read that Joseph was a righteous man, and being a righteous man, he had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. It doesn't seem to reflect poorly on Joseph that he was going to divorce Mary. Now, they were just betrothed, but in those, those days, an engagement had to be canceled only through divorce. Yet again, as he goes to divorce Mary, because it seems in his mind that, hey, she's, she's been uh, sexually immoral. She's been out having sex with another guy. That's how she got pregnant, right? So he's within his rights to divorce her. Uh, and it doesn't seem to reflect poorly on him that he is going to divorce her that way, right? Uh, the, other, the other passage I'd point you to is, are passages in the Old Testament, like Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, where God is talking about his people Israel. They're often referred to as God's bride, and he says this, I observed that it was because unfaithful Israel had committed adultery, this is spiritual adultery, they're worshiping other gods, that I sent her away and had given her a certificate of divorce. Okay. Now the beautiful thing about this story is that God continually woos his wayward bride and pursues her and calls him back to her. Right? And he does the same. The church is known as the bride of Christ, but through our sin, we often become spiritual adulterers, yet he continued to woo, to woo and pursue us. That's the story of God's grace. That's his love for us. But we see that not all sin, excuse me, not all divorce is sinful. Uh, Jesus says, what God has joined, man must not separate. Uh, the other thing I want to get across is this, that there are some people out there who would say, um, well, they can't get divorced, or if they get divorced, they're still married in God's eyes. And that's not the case, right? That's not the case. We see very clearly, Jesus says man must not separate. So it's not that they're not separated. It's not that they are still married. It's not that they're, um, the divorce doesn't count. It's not that they aren't divorced. It's that they shouldn't be divorced. Do you see the difference? Right? Man must not separate. We shouldn't be separating what God has joined together. Okay, the next thing I want us to see is this. The Bible permits divorce, but does not require it, only on the grounds of sexual immorality or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Now, I want to say something here um, that I know may be hard for some of you to hear, those of you who've been through divorce. 
Now, this is, um, this is not, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to say this. This is my feelings on the issue, right? We, we see, we're going to see in a second that these are the two, only two biblical grounds for divorce, sexual immorality or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. But let me give my counsel on this. This is just my thoughts. As Christians, we ought to always work towards reconciliation with our first spouse. Okay? So what does that mean? That means, uh, I'll, I'll say this also, as Christians, my personal feeling is that we should never be the initiator of the divorce. Okay? Um, that we ought to always be working towards that reconciliation. And I would always counsel couples, and I've even had to do this in my own family, when there was a divorce and there was an opportunity for the person to be remarried, my counsel to them was, your spouse has not yet remarried. I would encourage you to remain unmarried and work towards reconciliation. Now, if, you're, if your spouse does remarry, then you are free to remarry. And that was my counsel to them. So I know that's, that's a bit of a hard teaching, um, and it doesn't seem fair, but I just I feel like that is the, the best case scenario, especially if you were to consider, hey, I have, I have kids with my first spouse, but then I'm going to go and get remarried over here, and now my first spouse is willing to re- reconcile. Okay, which would be the best case scenario for the kids? To have their biological mother and father together? In, in my opinion, this is, I'm giving my opinion here, my counsel, that would be best. So my counsel is always um, that as followers of Jesus, we not be the one to initiate the divorce and that we would always hold out the hope of reconciliation. But let's talk about these two very quickly. Um, we see Jesus taught very clearly that divorce is permissible in the case of sexual immorality. Now, when the Pharisees come to Jesus, what they have in mind is Deuteronomy 24. And in Deuteronomy 24, we read this, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. If after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man hates her and writes her a divorce certificate, hands it over to her and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she's been defiled because that would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt on the land uh, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Okay, so Deuteronomy 24. There were two different rabbinical teachings on this passage. There was the more conservative school of Shammai that said they focused on the word improper. And they said, hey, the only reason a man can divorce his wife is because she has done something improper, which would mean sexual immorality. She's committed adultery. Now, if you go back to chapter 23, we don't necessarily have to put the words up here. um, But in chapter 23, Moses is giving them instructions about how to use the bathroom. Uh, Because remember, they're nomadic, they're traveling around, and Moses says, hey, God walks among you and walks in your camp, so when you go to the bathroom, pretend like you're a cat and bury it, because God doesn't want to see anything improper in your camp. So that word, anything or something improper, must mean something pretty gross. All right, now there was the more liberal school of Hillel who said they focused on the anything, Right? And they said, well, if I find anything improper, they said, if she burns dinner, that's improper enough and you can divorce her. I'm not kidding. You laugh. But he said, if she burns dinner, 
write her a certificate, be, be done with her, right? And so we just see uh, very clearly that Jesus is going to side on the school of Shammai, the more conservative school, and says, hey, it's, it's sexual immorality uh, is the case here. So he's, he's focusing on, on that, and we see that very clearly in Jesus' teaching back in Matthew. Um, and I'll say this again, uh, in the case of sexual immorality, adultery, divorce is permitted, but it's not required, right? Divorce is permitted, but not required. It's still always a great testament to God's grace when we're able to forgive and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with our spouse. They may not be willing to, but as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, as Paul says. Now, the next thing I want us to see takes us to 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. How are we doing so far? Good? All right, very good. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, Paul says this, I command the married, not I but the Lord, a wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does, now let me stop and explain this real quick. It seems like he's saying, here's the rule, but I know you're not going to follow it, so let me give you the exception. That's not what's happening here. In fact, the original language makes this a little bit more clear. Um, The tense of the verb actually means something more along the lines of, if it is the case that she has already left, or if it is the case that she has already been left, um, meaning, and the word here actually means separate or divorce. It was a common word for divorce. Okay, so if it be the case that she's already divorced or has been divorced is what he's saying, right? So let's just clarify that. So if it's the case that she's already been divorced, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Then he says, and a husband is not to leave his wife. The same thing that he just said in verse 11 is true for the husband. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by his wife and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. He's not saying that your spouse's faith will save you. What he is saying is that you will have opportunity to sanctify and to preach the gospel into your spouse's life if you remain together. So he goes on and he says this. um, He says, uh, otherwise your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. Meaning if you remove yourself as a Christian, you remove yourself from that relationship and your spouse keeps the children, what are the chances that the pagan is going to have more influence over the spouse than the Christians who's saying, hey, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your spouse, stay there. Be an example of the gospel. Preach the gospel to them, okay? He goes on, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave, okay? So if the unbeliever wants to leave, they file for divorce, then you are free to allow them to leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. For you, wife, how do you know whether or not you will save your husband? Or you, husband, how do you know whether or not you will save your wife? Okay, so again, uh, we come to this, and what Paul is saying is that if someone is wrongly divorced, or if it happens that your spouse uh, leaves you, his encouragement is um, that you would remain single or seek reconciliation with your original spouse, okay? Okay. Um, they shouldn't remarry after an illegitimate divorce. That's what Paul has in mind here. So he's saying, look, if, if you just up and left, because what's happening with the Corinthians is one spouse would become a believer, the other one's a pagan. 
And these false teachers were coming in and saying, hey, you, you can't be married to an unbeliever. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll just get divorced. So they would get a divorce. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the better option. The better option uh, is for you to stay, okay, for you to stay and remain married and keep that marriage intact. So that's kind of what's, what's happening there. Um, so we see the second permissible grounds for divorce is desertion by an uh, unbelieving spouse. And then Paul says that we should try to live at peace, that we should live at peace. But he says, hey, if they want to divorce you because of your faith, if that becomes an issue and they want to leave, you're not under compulsion to try to make them stay. You are free uh, to let them go. Okay? We, does that make sense? All right, so next thing I want us to see is this, that where, when divorce was not permissible, any subsequent remarriage to someone other than the original spouse results in adultery. Results in adultery. And that is very clearly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19 when he says, any man who divorces his wife and, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery, Right? So this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. And there may be some of you here this morning who say, I realize that my current marriage uh, fits that category. And I want you to know that there is grace in Jesus Christ. God's encouragement, as we're going to see in just a moment, is that you would remain as you are. That you would remain as you are. We're going to come back to this point in just a little bit. Um, it's not that you're not really married. It's not that um, you're not really married to your current spouse. Uh, kind of what the scripture says here is that you shouldn't have been divorced and therefore you shouldn't be remarried. Um, but that, again, we're going to come back to that situation and talk a little bit more about that in just a second. So hang in there on that one. The next thing I want us to see is that in situations where the divorce was permissible, remarriage is also permissible. Look at verse 39 and 40. Paul says this, A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be remarried to anyone she wants only in the Lord. So next week we're going to talk to singles, um, but let me say this to those who are are divorced and the option is available for you to get remarried. uh, Paul says, if we're going to marry, we must marry in the Lord. What's he mean? He means you should marry another Christian. You should only marry another Christian who's also committed to a lifelong relationship together. Make it last a lifetime. Uh, So we see here that remarriage is clearly allowed after a spouse dies. But what about after a biblically permissible divorce? Um, There's a few reasons why I think think remarriage is possible after a, a biblical divorce. Number one, grammatically, when Jesus says, except for marital unfaithfulness, that exception clause that he has there refers to uh, both the divorce, anyone who um, divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and then he says, and marries another, right? Uh, It also modifies that as well. So if your spouse commits adultery and you are divorced, then biblically speaking, I believe that you are free to remarry, but I would go back to my counsel as well and say, would you be willing to be patient and work towards reconciliation with your first spouse? Wait until they have chosen to remarry. Uh, I, I just personally, that's, I feel like the better option. Um, so uh, next I would focus on 
chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians verse 15 where Paul says that the spouse is not bound, right? If your spouse wants to leave, you are not bound, okay? So uh, we talk about the marriage bond, and what I think Paul is saying here is, hey, if they leave, if your unbelieving spouse divorces you, you are not bound, uh, you are free to, to remarry. Um, but again, as before, my counsel is always um, to seek reconciliation. Now, the last thing I want us to see is this, that improperly divorced and remarried Christians should stay as they are. Okay, if you are currently divorced and you recognize this morning that it doesn't meet one of those two grounds, I believe Scripture calls you to stay as you are. If you are remarried, if you are remarried, don't think, well, I need to go back to my original spouse. As we saw in Deuteronomy 24, that's not an option, okay? Um, Stay as you are. Commit. Say, this morning I've heard the word of God and I recognize now that I should not be in this situation, but I am. And Lord, I seek your forgiveness because either I didn't know or maybe I, I just didn't care at the time, but Father, I recognize I've sinned against you. Lord, will you forgive me? Will you help me make this a God-honoring marriage that I'm in right now? Make this last a lifetime. I'm committing to that today. Are you willing to do that if that's you? Are you willing to say, you know what? Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I knew, maybe I didn't know. Either way, God's counsel to you is come to me. Seek my forgiveness. I will forgive you. It may mean that you need to go to your first spouse and apologize. Say, I made a mistake. I sinned against the Lord, and I sinned against you. And I'm willing to do what I need to do to try to make it right, to restore our not marriage relationship, but to live at peace with you. And I'm, I want you to know I'm committed to my new spouse, and we're going to honor the Lord in this marriage because that's the condition that we're in. Look at what Paul says. He says it three times in the coming section, verse 17. Look at what Paul says. However, each of you one, each of each one must live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. That is what I command in all the churches. Going on to verse 20, he says this. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. And then going on to the next verse 24, he says, Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Paul's counsel to you, no matter how it started, Paul's counsel to you is remain as you are and honor the Lord in that situation. Paul tells us this. He says, forgetting what is behind, I press on towards the goal for which God, Christ has called me heavenward. Forgetting what is behind. That's in the past. It's in the past. You can't go back and change that. God's counsel is that we receive his forgiveness and we press on towards the prize which God has called us heavenward. Everybody tracking? Everybody following? I know this is heavy. I know this is a hard teaching for some of us to hear, but I think it's important. I want to close just by reminding us of the weight of marriage. I know this this message has been about divorce, but I want to remind us of the weight of marriage and how important it is that we, we honor those marriage vows and that every single one of us honor marriage. You know, as you may not be going through a divorce, but you may have a friend who's going through a divorce or considering a divorce, and I strongly want to encourage you, fight for that marriage. 
Fight for the marriage. Don't fight for your friend. Don't fight for their spouse. Don't take sides. Be on the side of the marriage. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be honored by all. Help them honor their marriage. Encourage them towards reconciliation as much as you can. Singles, I know next week you guys are going to get a whole message all to yourselves, right? Singles, anyone who's not currently married, next week will be for you. Married couples, I'd encourage you to come as well because we got something for you. Um, but man, understand the weight of marriage. I'm kind of looking in this section because that's where our college kids sit, all right? Understand how seriously God takes marriage. Let that sink in, okay? Before you consider dating, because here's the reality, you will end up marrying someone you've dated, right? So why would you date someone who's not a believer when Paul clearly says, if we're going to marry, we must marry in the Lord, right? Choose carefully who you date. Make sure they're on the same page. Make sure they don't have an escape hatch or trial marriage mentality, right? Understand the weight of marriage. To the married, I say stay married. Guard your marriage. Guard your marriage. Make investments in your marriage to honor that marriage, to remain married. If you need help, if you need counseling, we offer marriage counseling. We offer premarital counseling. Come see me. Come see Stephen. We would love to walk through that with you to help you get your marriage strong. Fight for that marriage and say, as much as it depends on me, I am committed to this marriage. Focus on your responsibilities, not your rights, as we talked about last week, right? Focus on what am, what am I responsible for in this marriage to make it work. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to make it work and continue to work towards reconciliation. Um, to those of you who are divorced, if you had grounds for divorce, biblical grounds for divorce, the leaders want to be sure that you understand that you are not some sort of second-class citizen, no matter the circumstances of your divorce. And do not ever let anyone in this church make you feel like there is something wrong with you because you have been through a divorce in your past. If that happens, we want you to come speak with us. We want to know about it. Because the problem is not with you. The problem is with the person who's trying to make you feel guilty and hang it over your head that 30 years ago you got a divorce. Okay? We want you to know that you are loved. We want you to know that, that God intends to use you powerfully. For those of you who are here this morning and you're divorced and you shouldn't be, can you find hope in your heart? Find hope in your heart that God may be able to restore you to your first spouse. If God can raise his son from the dead, could he not also raise a dead marriage? Can you find hope? Now, if, that, if, that, uh, if you're in the situation where you're di- improperly divorced and remarried, again, I just reiter- reiterate to you, you may need to come before the Lord and confess sin. You may need to repent. But move forward. Seek his forgiveness. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can leave with a lightened burden knowing that God loves you. And again, he intends to use you in his kingdom. You are not a lost cause. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever let anyone tell you that. Understand and receive the grace of God. Run to the cross of Jesus Christ and seek his forgiveness. I know this is a hard teaching, uh, 
I know it's hard to hear some of these things, but if you're in that situation where you're improperly divorced and improperly remarried, think about how Jesus dealt with the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. When everyone else wanted to stone her, Jesus lifts her up off the ground, lifts her head to look him in the eyes. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He wants to deal just as gently with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage. And Lord, we ask that you would help us hold it in the high regard that you hold it in. We ask that you would help us to honor all marriages around us. And Father, for those of us this morning who may find ourselves in a situation that is sinful, God, we thank you for the forgiveness of your son, Jesus Christ, if we will only turn to you, repent, and confess our sins and receive your grace. Lord, may, may it be that, that at times we experience conviction, but never guilt. Lord, your spirit may be convicting some this morning, but may they not feel unnecessary guilt. Father, help us to be a church that, that receives hard teaching and responds to it but also honors you by the way we live out grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.